How good is God that he has created man for this very end, to make him happy in the enjoyment of himself, the Almighty, who was happy from the days of eternity in himself, in the beholding of his own infinite beauty, the Father in beholding and love of his Son, his perfect and most excellent image, the brightness of his own glory, and the Son in the love and enjoyment of the Father." End quote. Those are the beautiful words of Jonathan Edwards. God's beauty is central to the writings of the 18th century theologian, and for good reason. Without understanding the beauty of God, the Trinitarian nature of God himself will never make sense to us, and the Christian life and eternity in heaven will not make much sense to us either. So seems to be the case made by Jonathan Edwards in his writings, and one young Edwards scholar making this connection is Kyle Strobel. Strobel appeared on the very first episode of the Authors on the Line podcast to talk about Edwards and the religious affections, and he returns to the podcast to talk about his new book, Jonathan Edwards' Theology, A Reinterpretation, published by TNT Clark. His new book was an easy choice for inclusion into my list of top 12 books of 2012, and for good reason. It's a fascinating book, and yet it's also an academic book, which means it's not easy to read and it's not cheap either, but many of Strobel's most important points will be spread around in a more popular book published by IVP later this year. And these points are the centerpiece of this podcast about beauty and beatific in the theology of Jonathan Edwards. The Father's delight in the beauty of the Son and the Son's enjoyment of the Father is the ultimate beatific vision, the capital B, beatific, the capital V, vision. We look forward to the day when we see Christ with our own eyes, 1 John 3, 2. That will be a blessed experience of the beatific vision, but that is only an experience that is nothing less than participation in the very experience of God right now and for all eternity. God enjoys himself, and the Christian, by grace, gets pulled up into that divine joy. I think Strobel is right when he writes, quote, Jonathan Edwards depicts God's life as the mutual beholding of infinite beauty. God created humanity that another being might partake in God's goodness and delight. This beatific delight provides the theological setting for talking about Edwards' understanding of spiritual knowledge, end quote. And this is what I also see in Scripture. The point here is that at the center of Jonathan Edwards' theology, Strobel writes, is the beatific beauty of God. I began the conversation with Strobel by asking him for a general definition of an old word, a richly loaded word, but a, a word we don't use much anymore, the word beatific. Um, I think one of, this happens every now and again, but probably not nearly as much with any other doctrine that I can think of other than beatific vision. It's, I think Protestants have somehow, that without ever actually studying it, have just assumed this is Catholic, quote-unquote, and, and have never really explored the fact that everyone from Hodge to Owen to Edwards made it a central part of their work. <laughs> and, and so basically, the, 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 the term beatific vision, the, it's, Edwards actually probably comes up with the easiest way to talk about it. He, at one point, he calls it the happifying site. And basically what that means is it is the site that we're told about in Scripture. Um, when we're, you know, in, in John, 1 John 3, 2, when he says, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then when Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, um, we will see him face to face. Um, that, you know, later in 2 Corinthians, you know, we, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You, you see these, these images Paul particularly makes about, um, that, are, that are saturated with, with visual imagery, about light, and specifically shining from the face of Christ, that somehow um, the, the, the image of face-to-face 
is is trying to push this vision into a relational mode. So it's not simply looking at an object, but it's coming into a relationship of not a, a, a relational knowledge that is intimate, that is that is deep, that is face to face, being um, not simply an image that depicts relationship, but a certain kind of relational knowledge. And so the idea is that as we see God, as we are pulled into that relationship, it is happifying. It it creates a situation where we are are fully alive. In, in, in the fullest sense of the term. And um, we are made, we are kind of finally stepping into how we were created to be, um, which is just glorying in the presence of God. Those Reformed thinkers you mentioned talk about beatific vision as our vision of Christ in heaven, but there's a more fundamental beatific vision that goes back into God's very own nature. Explain this beatific vision for us. Well, typically, for, for the Reformed, um, particularly the Reformed High Orthodox, if you were going to write a full-blown systematic theology, you would talk about the beatific vision in three separate places. You'd talk about it in, in your prolegomena right up front, because the way the Reformed understood knowledge was that God is the archetypal knowledge. He knows himself fully and perfectly, and that somehow Forms what it was, what was called ectypal knowledge, and the way ectypal knowledge was understood it was there are three main kinds. There was pilgrim knowledge, which is the knowledge by faith. Um, we might say that's knowledge through a glass darkly, um, to use Paul's imagery. That knowledge of faith is, as Scripture talks about, um, faith is being is kind of necessarily of the unseen. And so typically faith was then seen to dissolve into sight in glory. And that sight was the beatific vision. And so if you take someone like John Owen, he's going to make comments like, for those people who do not um, contemplate the face of God in Jesus Christ by faith here in this life, will never see him face to face in heaven. And everything that whenever you talk about faith, then it's kind of pressed into a visual mold because the journey we're on is journeying towards this site. Um, and you can think of Pilgrim's Progress very much in, in the same kind of kind of, um, kind of of themes. And, and so, um, and then there was a third kind of archetypal union, which is the knowledge of God that Jesus had, which was knowledge by union. So you, when you talk about what it means to know God, um, immediately the Reform would talk about, at the very beginning of the theology, the beatific vision as the kind of knowledge we're all oriented towards. And so our knowledge of faith, the knowledge we have here, as we're theologizing, as we're seeking to be faithful to God, is, is always oriented by the sight we'll have. Well, then what happened in the, in the High Orthodox period is the Reformed also started talking about God's beatific vision. Um, I think the Latin there is the beatitio dei. Um, and so basically what you have here is that God's own knowledge of kind of self-knowledge it is beatific. And that, I would say Edwards ran with this more than any other thinker, and it has huge implications for his theology. And then when you finally got to heaven in, in your systematic theology, that's, that whole discussion would be oriented by the beatific vision. Um, obviously, that's going to be the, 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 the biggest place where you really kind of develop it. So what Edwards does, and what a lot of reform figures did, is, is, is that when you talk about ectypal theology, you're talking about what, what God's knowledge is, that pure theology is God's theology in a sense, God's self-knowledge. And the question then becomes, well, how does that theology orient our fallen 
version of theology, our theology through a glass darkly. And what Edwards said was, well, basically, the way we come to know God's life, um, and he, he looked at Scripture for this, and he makes, um, in his Discourse on the Trinity, he makes an argument for how we should understand the Trinity that is um, broadly Augustinian in the sense that he uses um, the psychological analogy that the Son is the understanding of God, um, that the, the Spirit is the will and love of God. But the way he ties these together is with the beatific vision of God, that the Father um, generates the Son, and, as the, and the Son and Father gazing upon one another generates the Spirit as love. And so God's life is, is perfect and infinite knowledge, and perfect and infinite love. And those are not two, we shouldn't see those as two separate things. So really, God's life is religious affection and pure act. And religious affection is seeing God, and, and that's thereby knowing God, and having your heart, your affections inclined towards him. And, and so God's life is the beatific vision, or another way of putting that is God's life is religious affection and pure act. And this is one of the things I discovered in my, in my study of Edwards for my dissertation, is that no one had asked the question, why does Edwards care about religious affection? And so when I, when I lay out my approach and then come to religious affection, what became clear is Edwards cares so much about this because there's the only way to know God is through God's own self-knowledge, that God's archetypal knowledge, the knowledge of himself he has in his own life, governs how we know him as well. And therefore, you can't have knowledge of God without, have, without having your heart inclined towards him, um, because all knowledge of God is affectionate knowledge. And therefore, any, and that's true in God's life, and therefore it has to be true in our life, that, that faith is the same kind of knowledge of God that the beatific is. It just is through a glass darkly, and so it's limited, and therefore our heart is in sense um, constrained because of our um, sinfulness, but not only our sinfulness, our our, our fleshliness in the sense of um, not merely evilness, not merely baseness, but the distance, so to speak, between us and God. In the Incarnation, Jesus reveals God to us. Um, explain for us how Christ reveals the beauty of God and how Edwards explains this. Well, I mean, for, for Edwards, then, Christ is is the image of the invisible God, as Paul says in Colossians, right? I mean, it's what what we see in Christ is is God's example, God's picture of what He is and who He is. It, it's it is God's perfect revelation. That that all revelation itself um, has to be understood through Christ and the work of redemption that is taking place through Christ working in the world. And, and what we see, therefore, in the person of Christ, and um, we'll talk later about beauty, but what we're going to see is the excellency of Christ, that Christ, because of the Incarnation, takes on a certain kind of beauty. And therefore, in a, in a real sense, what salvation entails is it's coming to see. It, it's as Jesus, is, as Jesus critiqued, it's, it, we, these people have eyes to see, but they cannot see. And in regeneration, we are given eyes to see, and we behold Christ, and we behold the cross, and we finally realize that this is beautiful in the sense that this is for me. This is not an extrinsic event. This is not an event even for humanity. 
um, but it's an event for me. And that that moment for Edwards is is what is happening in in regeneration. There's illumination by the Spirit. The Spirit illumines Christ as He truly is. Um, and you know, as we learn in um, John 15 through 17, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus tells us. And so what we're what, what we're having there is this this kind of first glimpse of what we will see for eternity. And for Edwards, unlike for Owen, where Owen would say, eternity will look at Christ, because if we see him, we see the Father. Edwards takes it a step further, um, and I think is actually closer to Calvin on this, actually, is that we will then, because we are united to Christ, in, in, in glory, we will gaze upon the Father through the eyes of the Son. And we will then share in that in our inner Trinitarian gazing. It's mediated through Christ. It's not direct. Um, another way of putting this would be the, the sight of the Father that Christ has by nature. We are gifted by grace um, through his life and person, through his person and work. Um, and, and that would be broadly what Edwards is going to say when, 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 he, when he turns to something like Second Peter 1.4, that we are partakers of the divine nature. It is that union with Christ that allows us to partake in, in, in the life of God. I'm thinking of Second Corinthians 3.18, as we behold the glory of Christ by faith now, we are being transformed. How much of this beatific vision uh, by faith, how much of, of this beatific vision plays a role in our present sanctification uh, as we grow as Christians right now? It, it plays everything. <laughs> and this is what makes Edwards a bit different. Edwards unlike Owen and unlike almost anyone, I, I haven't seen anyone in the Reformed tradition do what Edwards does with this. Whereas typically, say, someone like Owen would say faith will dissolve into sight. And so if you have this spectrum of knowledge, there's a distinct category of faith, and that ends, and you step into a distinct new category of sight. And faith is oriented by sight, and so we'll, when we talk about faith, we'll use a lot of visual terminology. But what we're not saying usually is that it is just kind of a darkened version of the beatific vision or something like that. But that's exactly what Edwards says. And so for Edwards, what's interesting is that if you think of these two categories, the pilgrim knowledge by faith and beatific vision by sight and glory, they both end up taking attributes of the other one. And so heaven for Edwards is a progressive state. He's very similar to Gregory of Nyssa on this point, is that we will eternally grow into the knowledge of God. And the way he talks about this is we'll always fully be satisfied, like we'll be full in the sense like a bucket will be full of water, but the bucket itself, our capacities are always growing in heaven because we're learning about God, we're knowing God, therefore, you know, we're, our capacities are becoming greater to receive from him and enjoy him. Well, as our capacities grow, so, do our, so does our enjoyment. But because we're finite and God's infinite, that'll never cease. So now heaven becomes a pilgrim state. It becomes a journey with God. It's just now an internal journey. And the opposite happens as well. Whereas the, the beatific vision, heaven, seeing God face to face, the glory we know there, that, that's a very clear vision. Well, now the pilgrim life, the life by faith, is the beatific vision just now through a glass darkly. Um, and it's, it's darkened by our faith as well as our sin. And, and also it, it's always a darkened sight. But, but the life of holiness will be, for Edwards, will include, at least as a key component in it, this, this sense of 
of clarity of vision. Um, and this is why beauty is so important for him. It's, it's being transfixed by the beauty and glory of God. And so Edwards, when he talks about the Christian life, always is turning to um, meditative and contemplative imagery and, and, and practices. Because what what we're doing when we are being confronted by Christ in Scripture is we're gazing upon God in a real sense. And this orients everything for him, even preaching. You know, when, when Edwards preaches, a lot of people will talk about the literary value of, of his preaching. Edwards kind of the poet, and, and there's certainly something true about that. But what I see when I see Edwards, and I think is, is, a, is actually more accurate to Edwards himself, is that Edwards is kind of just a visual paint. He's a painter in a sense. And so when he's preaching, he's casting, he's using language to, to paint a picture of, of Jesus to present before his people. And, and, and so he's, he's trying to get them to gaze upon this one, this Christ, that, that has been revealed by God. And as we do so, that, that, is where, that is where we know holiness. That is where we know growth. That is where we know transformation. It's, it's the gaze upon this God um, that, that we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another as we, as we see him. Let's transition from beatific to beauty. And it's not a hard transition. In fact, it's not really a transition at all. I mean, what is the connection in Jonathan Edwards' mind between beatific and his definition of beauty? Well, they're going to be, in one sense, identical, um, because what what God is, God is not only good and God is not only true, but God is the beautiful God. And, and so Edwards will make a distinction between primary beauty and secondary beauty. Primary beauty is is God's own life. And, and when Edwards talks about the beauty, you have terms like proportion, terms like harmony, uh, and those are all relational terms. So it makes sense that in God's life, which is invisible, to talk about beauty, you're clearly, clearly not talking about something visual or physical, but you're talking about how God exists as the triune God. And, and so it, it's, it's God's, all of knowledge of God is pushed into this visual mold and therefore is pushed into the mold of beauty. And, and ultimately, and what I like about, there's a lot I like about this, but one of the things I really like about it is that we all recognize this. When we when we, when we see something physical beauty, so this Edwards would call secondary beauty, that's something that's, you know, to, like the image we, or the, the language we use when we, when we talk about that is, it took my breath away. And, and sometimes our, you know, our, our heart races or, or we're, we kind of incline towards it. We, we want to kind of be united to the beautiful. And what, that's exactly what religious affections are. That's exactly what Edward says happens when we actually come to see God in Christ, is we come to recognize that, that in some sense, he is beautiful. Um, you know, one of the things I tell my students is that, you know, when we come into contact with the cross, that's the distinct moment where if you're just naturally looking at it, this is horrific. And, but there's a reason why the church came to call that day Good Friday, because when you look at it from with with hindsight, post resurrection and ascension, what you realize is this was this was for me, and that this act itself was beautiful in some real way, even as it's full of depravity. It's because of sin and its brokenness, and you, it's torturous, and it's all these things. You're recognizing it as as beautiful in a real sense, and so so much of the Christian life, and this is. You know, this has been true in the Reformed faith. It's even true of someone like John Owen, 
who would talk less about beauty, but because the knowledge by faith is oriented by the beatific vision, the knowledge we have by faith is oriented visually. And, and, you, and you turn to these passages, um, you know, as, as Paul, we, you know, we've looked at several passages by, by Paul who says this, and Paul obviously says a lot more, like, um, later on in Colossians, he'll make the comment to set your mind on things that are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. You know, there's this idea of, of, of turn and orient yourself to who God is as you turn and gaze upon Christ. But even, you know, in the psalm, Psalm 17, 15, um, says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. In, in Revelation, it says they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And So throughout Scripture, we see this, this, this visual image that God presents himself to us. And our call to repentance, our call to not, not only to turn, but to turn and look and be reoriented to reality as we gaze upon who God really is. It seems like Edwards likes to use the category of holiness as God's beauty. Holiness is, you know, to be set apart, and yet his separateness is what makes him attractive. Explain this for us from Edwards. Well, it's, it, holiness for Edwards runs along the same trajectory as his understanding of glory. And so it's actually easier to talk about glory because it, it, it'll be the exact same. It, it, they trace along the same, they have the exact same contours for Edwards. And, and so what God's glory is for Edwards, ultimately, is, is first it's the reality, or we can even say the nature of God's inner life. And Edwards talks about three different levels of glory. So the first level of glory would be the kind of nature of God's inner life. The second level would be God communicating that, the reality, the nature, Edwards say, of that inner life economically, externally to himself. And the way he does this is by son and by spirit. The Son and the Spirit bring God's kind of nature, God's life with them as they relate to us. They bring the understanding and love of God or the, the um, image of God and in the Spirit, in the image of God in the Son, and then in the Spirit, the illumination of that image. And the third level of glory is as we are confronted by Son and Spirit, as we are um, indwelt by the Spirit and pulled into union with the Son, that also is called God's glory. And in that moment, what is taking place is we are now kind of receiving who God is, which means we're participating in his self-knowledge. And that's it's one of the things people mistake with Edwards is for holiness, it means not only that it certainly doesn't mean that you're just starting to act well. <laughs> it, it means you are now partaking in God's own holiness. Because he has given you holiness itself, the Spirit. There's a reason why Edwards thinks there's a reason why the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. Because in the economy, the Holy Spirit brings holiness itself. That's the Spirit's nature. And so we receive God's own holiness and God's own love, God's own understanding as he confronts us. And we are called into that. We are pulled into partake of that. So again, looking at Second Peter 1.4, partaking in the divine nature is partaking in the divine love, partaking in the divine knowledge, partaking in the divine holiness. And the big term for Edwards in that is glory. And as we do so, we, um, as we kind of receive God's self-knowledge, God's self-revelation, we, we communicate that back to God in our lives, in praise, in prayer, um, and so on and so forth. And so um, the holiness is oriented by sight, again, because God's own life is oriented by sight. Um, because, again, going back to Edward's understanding of the Trinity as um, 
God the Father gazing upon God the Son and God the Son gazing back upon the God the Father and then existing infinitely in the love of the Spirit. And so everything's this affectionate kind of knowledge. And and once you you push affection like Edwards did center stage, and, Edward, and the Puritans generally did this, as, as the Reformed have, many of the Reformed have, it, once, once affection becomes center stage and, and the only way to relate to God is to relate to God in, in such a way that is affectionate, then you automatically begin to, to tap into and to recognize these aspects of Scripture that, that are more visual, that um, like you, you tend to start talking about beauty more. I mean, that in the Reformed tradition and many traditions, that, that's been a very unutilized category. We like to talk about truth, we like to talk about goodness, but beauty, we, we just stop talking about. The reason why Edwards grabbed onto that is that the, the recognition of when we talk about knowledge of God, when we talk about what, what it means to see this image of the invisible God, that, that God presents himself to us in a certain kind of way, beauty is really the most helpful category to talk about because beauty entails truth. When you see something as beautiful, you're seeing it truly and it's also always tied together with goodness. When when something's truly beautiful, it's it's good. And and so for Edwards, this category is more of a meta category. It incorporates all that we want to talk about as Christians into one kind of big category. And because human beings are, as as Calvin liked to say, you know, these, you know that our hearts are idol factories. <laughs> that we aren't primarily thinking things, but we're worshiping and loving things. And what we're worshiping and what we're loving is what we think in our brokenness is beautiful. And unfortunately, that turns out to be ugliness. Um, but when we are given eyes to see and we gaze upon Christ, that I don't know, recalibrates our heart to who he is and the reality of who he is. Let's transition and talk about secondary beauty. Uh, when Edwards looks at the ocean or a sunset or even spiders, and he looks at creation, he sees God reflected in these things, and he enjoys them as beautiful things. I mean, what was going on in Edwards' mind as he took in the secondary beauty of nature? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, one of the fascinating things, things I find fascinating, not, not just about Edwards, but about the Bibles. You know, if you go do, I believe it's Psalm 19, 1915, I believe, um, we're told that, that creation declares the glory of God and that creation pours forth speech. And this is something we see in Edwards, is that just as words are signs of, of something beyond them, they point beyond themselves, so all of created reality, all beauty we see in creation points beyond itself. It's, it's a sign of, of something signified by that sign, which is God and, and, and his action. And, and to understand Edwards, one of, the, one of the key categories, and I think this is one of the most neglected areas of Edwards, actually, is you have to understand how much personhood drives his understanding of things. And, and God, the personal reality of God is key to that. And one of the things I argue in um, um, the um, Jonathan Edwards theology book is that, is that very point, that, that God is personal, and therefore to understand who God is, God has to reveal himself. It's God's self-revelation. And this is true of any person. To know someone is to have them reveal themselves to you. And, and this is important, again, for Edwards, because it, it would be wrong to say we can't know things about people. Um, we can deduce things. Um, we could, I mean, we know they're physical, they're temporal. <laughs> you know, but we, we intuitively realize that that's not knowing them truly. Um, a lot of 
theologians throughout history have maybe made that mistake, though, thinking if I can say true things about God, that must mean I know God. And everyone said, no, that's not the case at all. To know him is to have him reveal himself to you. Um, primarily, that for Edwards, that's going to be reveal himself to you in Christ Jesus and then through the Holy Scriptures. But it's also going to mean through nature, because the other way we learn about people is through what they do. And so nature, because God created it, is are these words. And in Edwards, there's a famous Edwards quote about um, Edwards was saying, you know, people might think I'm crazy. <laughs> this is a paraphrase. Um, but he basically said, you know, I realize people might think this sounds nuts, but when I look at the universe, to me, it's a whole language full of words. And if you only could learn this language, you would basically see what I do. And I, I think what he's saying there is what, what we have in Christ, when we kind of see who he is, it, it gives us eyes to see cosmically in a way that we couldn't see before. Um, we see that, as Paul tells us in um, um, Ephesians as well as Colossians, that in him all things hold together. And he is the plan for the fullness of times to unite all things in him. And what, what what's going on there is that creation itself recognizes who this God is and proclaims it. And so in the beauty of nature, we, we see we only get that secondary beauty because it rests on the primary beauty. So in other words, secondary beauty, it's only beautiful um, because it is relying upon primary beauty, which means it's relational. Now, it doesn't mean it's personal. You might look at something in the nature, and, and when you say it's relational, you might say the colors are relating in certain ways, or the shapes are relating. There's proportion, there's harmony between colors and nature, and images and forms and things like that. But that, what that's pointing back to is a personal relational reality at the heart of God's life. Edward spent 13 hours a day in his office thinking and writing and slipping into poetry about God. Few of us have that kind of a luxury. How do we translate Edward's vision of beauty into our own busy lives that are taken up with nine-to-five jobs and busy families? Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, in Edward's day, is, I mean, it's so different from our own. Um, and a lot of that isn't even, it, it isn't even the fact that we couldn't have this, that we don't have the space for it, I don't think. But you look at how our space differs from Edwards, and our space tends to be filled with noise and with chaos. Um, how many homes have multiple TVs going on at the same time? How many, how many moments of your day is, is actually silence? Um, and, and, and we live in a culture of just perpetual noise, perpetual busyness, perpetual chaos, and Edwards didn't. Um, and one of the things, I remember hearing a story when I, when I studied at the Edwards Center at Yale, um, one of, uh, um, kind of a senior Edwards scholar who lived nearby would come in every Friday for lunch and just tell stories. <laughs> and so we would just sit and listen to him. You know, he's fantastic. And he told a story about something he had come across in a, it was a, a pastor's diary who, who met Edwards once at least once. And he was telling about the occasion. And he said, you know, I was going to Pastor Edwards' house, Reverend Edwards, and he, um, he expected to sit in his office and just chat with him a bit. And when he got there, they were going to have lunch as well. And when he got there, Edwards said, I packed us a picnic lunch. Let's go for a ride and then hike to the top of a hill. And that's what they did. And I think 
when I heard that, and this is early on in my Edwards studies, it kind of broke this conception I had of Edwards. You know, Edwards describes himself as, you know, I'm not, I'm not great with people. <laughs> uh, I mean, he has, he has a very kind of honest self-description, but it, and it, and it makes me think of someone who has become such an academic that they almost are unrelatable. But that, I don't think that's quite right with Edwards. And I mean, I think there's something true about it. I think he did recognize some true things about himself. But Edwards loved being outside. He loved taking um, horse rides. Um, he'd get on a horse and my horseback ride. He just enjoyed it. He, he loved being a part of God's creation. And I just love the image of him taking this young pastor and saying, let's go for a ride. Let's hike to the top of the hill and have a picnic lunch. And just doesn't be in creation. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of us walk through God's creation every day and don't notice it. Um, Edwards might have spent more time in his office than we do, but the 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 little the less amount of time he spent in nature, he was actually there, thinking about how how God is present. Um, we're often just moving from one place to another. Um, so I think that I think the key isn't. Isn't, the issue isn't even one of time as much of utilizing the time we have well. And even within that, um, recognizing that any kind of work we do um, can be sanctified because God is present with us, that beauty is all around us, even the darkest moments. Um, there's something inherently beautiful about God's creation. It's, the question is not, is beauty here? The question is, do you have eyes to see? Let's close on a summary note. Uh, how, how central for Edwards is beauty? It's as central as God is, because God is beauty. Um, it would it, the same, it'd be the same as asking how central is glory or how central is love, because what you're saying are really different ways of talking about the same thing. Um, you're talking about God's own life. Um, and... I think one of the surprising aspects, and I, I, I share this in class, and what, one of the things that um, I, I kind of, it's it, it just curious, I notice with my students, is that even the Christian students I have, because I've got a, actually a, a very broad mix, the Christian students are still surprised when, when the Bible explains to them that when, when there's something wrong with the world, the way God solves it is by being present. That it's actually God himself in his own life that is the solution. That is why God sends Emmanuel, God with us. Um, that's one of the many reasons why it has to be God and it cannot be a messenger of God. Because it's God's very presence that is the solution to the brokenness of reality. Um, it's why at the end of Revelation we see the new Jerusalem descending in the shape of a cube um, because that cube is a symbolic representation of the Holy of Holies where God's perfect presence was. And we're told in that same passage that um, God is now dwelling with mankind. And it's that very presence that is the solution to reality, to the brokenness of reality, to the painfulness of reality, to, to, to sin itself. Um, and when we, when we, when we recognize that, that God is beautiful, that, that changes the nature of so many of our questions. And, and, and for Edwards, one, I, I actually think the reason why Edwards is so attractive to so many is, is really the same, re, the same reason Augustine is, and the same reason that most of the great theologians understood this truth, that God is beautiful, and that 
the Christians shouldn't have to apologize for that. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, is, is the church seems to forget it. Um, and I don't know if it's because we feel the need to apologize for it, because by claiming God is beautiful, we immediately make, have to make proclamations about all the ugliness that we give ourselves to, or perhaps. But for Edwards, because God is beautiful, then all of life needs to be oriented by that. And we can enjoy the beautiful realities of the world, but only enjoy them fully once we realize that they point beyond themselves to the beauty of God. Thank you, Kyle. To repeat the words of Jonathan Edwards that I read at the beginning of this podcast, how good is God that he has created man for this very end to make him happy in the enjoyment of himself, the Almighty. What an incredible thought. That was Jonathan Edwards scholar Kyle Strobel from his Phoenix office at Grand Canyon University where he teaches. In this podcast, we discussed his academic book, Jonathan Edwards Theology, A Reinterpretation, released by TNT Clark in January of 2013. Be looking for his next book where many of these same ideas will be shared at a more popular level in the book, Formed for the Glory of God, Learning from the Spiritual Practices of Jonathan Edwards, due out in June from IVP. Thank you for listening to this Authors on the Line podcast. This free podcast is supported, produced, and distributed by Desiring God in Minneapolis. And you can subscribe and find a full archive of episodes by searching for Authors on the Line in iTunes or watch for new episodes online at desiringgod.org forward slash blog. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening.